a listener production. Hey crew, you are listening to episode 135 of the Howie Games, part B with Aussie cricket powerhouse Mitch Marsh. Let's rip back in. So we're talking about how well you go, Marshy. Um, 2016-17, you, I think you were batting number four, weren't you, for Australia? At times, yeah, in my yeah. Country, yeah. Vice captain of the team as well. Um, what happens when cricket becomes difficult, when it's not going your way, when you are and, you, you know, you went, you went through a patch where it became really difficult for you? Yeah, I uh, certainly have had my uh, ups and downs um, and there's certainly been some difficult times um, playing for Australia, dealing with um, a bit of scrutiny and and probably more importantly your own form when you, you feel like you're not contributing to, to a team. Um, luckily I've been a part of some very good teams that we're winning anyway, yeah. So, um, which at times makes it harder when you're, you're not performing yourself. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's certainly taken me on a bit of a journey um, mentally, um, dealing with a, a few tough times and, and going through um, having a few injuries, um, and then obviously going through. I mean, Test cricket's provided me with many challenges, certainly with a bat, um, and I've been given lots of opportunity in that format. And, and hopefully, there's a few more around the corner. Um, My word! But it's certainly provided me with um, yeah some challenges along the way, and. Um, I guess that's part of the journey, you know. Um, I always, I don't like when people say it's part of the journey or it's the journey, but it is, It is, you know. Um, and whilst I'd, I say I wouldn't change it for the world because um, where I am now in my life, um, those those struggles have helped me incredibly. Um, I probably would have liked a few more hundreds, though, in Test Match Cricket. <laughs> plenty more time to come, mate. Yeah, plenty yeah, more time. Is. Yeah, doing, doing some reading... Um, as a personal question, you, you deal with it as best you can. You talked about um, at times when you were struggling and there was a few things going on in the background in your life, which we don't read about. We don't understand when you're going out to the uh, walk, mm-hmm. when you're out in the middle. You talked about uh, a mate that you'd lost that had taken his yeah. own life. And <sighs> often I don't think as the public we understand that you guys – and girls are not these bulletproof people that can just play cricket constantly and think about nothing else in life. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a very difficult time. Um, uh, yeah, my good mate uh, Jarvo, um, who was entrenched in our family, dating with my, my cousin at the time. Um, yeah, unfortunately, um, got to a point in his life where that was the only option for him, and it was extremely sad at the time. Uh, we were away in uh, Dubai. Um, at that point in time, not for my test debut, but a couple of years on, back in the same place. And, um, yeah, to get that news um, probably a week out from the first test um, was was very tough to deal with. Um, I remember just, well, it was more the fact that um, I sort of felt guilty at that time being away from my family, being away from my cousin, um, and it was just unfathomable that he was gone, you know, and, Mm. And I was away from home at that time. And if I had my time again, I definitely would have gone home. Um, but I'd just been announced as vice captain of the test team. A huge honour. Um, we had a, a reasonably young and different squad due to a few injuries and stuff over there. So I really wanted to be there. Yeah. 
and be a part of, and I was going to be batting number four that series. So uh, in my head, I was like, oh, it's just, it's too good of an opportunity to give up. Um, and uh, I basically didn't, I didn't sleep for a whole week. I mean, going through something like that, everyone deals with it differently, but I just couldn't sleep, had a lot of thoughts running through my head. Um, I actually, uh, in our warm up game against Pakistan A, um, I made, I got about 150 not out. Um, but at, um, whilst I was batting, I, my heart actually went into um, atrial fibrillation, which is basically an irregular heartbeat. Um, and stupidly, I didn't even go off after that um, because you know, I just wanted to be playing cricket for Australia. And, um, but I think all the sort of stress and lack of sleep and um, contributed to that. Gee, and then a couple of days later, went into a test match and... Um, Obviously, my performances that that test series were horrific. What a referral there from Safras Ahmed, the captain, hitting the pad first at the start of it. It just felt like there might have been a bat in there, and Mitch Marsh has to depart. He can't believe it. He came in late, and both Marsh brothers go without scoring, lasting six balls. Muhammad Abbas seemed to be have an ability to see the ball on probably the flattest wicket of all time, and yeah. Um, was all over me. Um, he was all over everyone, to be fair, Marshy. That's close on the back leg. It was the seam and the accuracy from Muhammad Abbas just nipping back. Marsh has got to go and Australia lose their third wicket. I've just got this distinct memory fielding at deep point on the day of Jarvo's funeral and um, and just thinking, you know, is this all worth it? What, like, what am I doing here? Um, and, uh, you know, that sort of mentality sort of went throughout that whole summer. Um, obviously, you come back into Australia and you're, you're under the pump. Um, and, yeah, that was probably a, a, re- a very tough summer for me, um, both away from cricket, um, dealing with something like that. And then, obviously, on, on the field, I wasn't, um, you know, performing. Um, and that made it even tougher. But, um, yeah, I got through that and... Um, I eventually came out the other side, but uh, you had to go through a fair bit to, to coming out the other side. Um, so, yeah, I think it's little things like that that everyone goes through in their life, and professional sportsmen, people who work in the office, um, at, at an office job, have things outside their work their work life yeah. going on. Um, and uh, for me, I'm in a very fortunate position that I've got great people around me to support me no matter what I'm going through. Um, so I, I'm... Pretty lucky in a sense. I think that's the thing that I think I'm probably more aware than most people because of my job. You, you know, I I get to speak to athletes on a day to day basis, and a small percentage you develop a relationship where where you have conversations with, and they can talk about what's going on in your life. And I just sometimes I think the average punter and all of us need to be a little bit more aware about anyone in the public eye that. They have more to their life than what they're doing on stage or on the cricket ground or on the footy field. And there's always, you know, oh, there's no excuse when you're out there, you do your job for your country. But there's like the description you've just given there, no one is going to be able to perform at their optimum in, in their job and whatever their job is when those things are going on in the background of their life. Yeah, I think um, if I had my time again, um, I definitely would have come home. Yeah. Um, I was still sort of reasonably young um, at that point in time. I'm still pretty young now. Um, got to keep telling the selectors that. Correct. Um, 
Um, but I was just so hell-bent on um, not giving up the opportunity of playing cricket for Australia because, you know, I, I absolutely love it and, and not many people get to do um, what we do. So I sort of got caught in the middle of not wanting to give up my spot, um, thinking that as a vice-captain you've got to be tough and, and hard-nosed and um, not show too much emotion and... Um, and then also just purely the fact that I love playing cricket for Australia. But, um, you know, there's there's more important things to life than just a game of cricket at times. And that was probably one of those moments um, where I should have been home with my family. But um, also, you know, a really good learning experience for me um, for the future and and, uh, and part of growing up, I guess. I've got you as a, as a captive audience. We discussed this, the fact you were in... Um quarantine right at the start and I texted you yesterday and I said I've got eight hours for you and you said good it'll be a first four-parter in the history of the show because you can't you can't <laughs> go anywhere so I got so I got some more questions Correct. for you just in relation to that Marshy um about being tough and, and leading from the front and not showing your emotions within the cricket fraternity it's a lot more talked about in football now in a lot of other sports mm-hmm. um I've done an interview recently with Mad Jack Daw, a man you would know and love from his yeah, kangaroos yeah. days, yeah. and and he talked very honestly and openly, and I think conversations like that are, are helping break down a lot of doors. With Will Pekowski in your part, um, in your sphere, has been open about his mental health uh, battles, and he's come into setups you're involved in. Is the cricket world changing where you can share amongst your mates that? things aren't going so well for you? I think there's definitely been a huge shift um, in in that side of things. Um, and, uh, yeah, you definitely... The Australian cricket team, we spend so much time together yeah. um, that it would it would almost be a crime if we didn't have an environment where blokes felt like they could speak up, you know. Um, I'm fortunate that I, I've never... Um, I don't think I've ever suffered from sort of a mental health issue, but I've definitely perform, um, suffered from performance anxiety, which yeah. is probably you know, a very similar thing. Um, and the, the times that I've suffered from that um, were times where I wasn't open to sharing how I was feeling. You know, you just felt like you had to bottle stuff up. And um, I remember um, a game for Perth Scorchers, um, I was, I mean, stock standard, I was under the pump. Um, I felt like I was under the pump, wasn't playing that well, had just been um, out of the Australian team, back playing for the Scorchers, which I love playing for the Scorchers. And I remember driving to um, Perth Stadium to play against the Renegades and um, I just had this horrible feeling in my guts and I, I, I didn't want to play the game. And uh, I remember calling uh, Andrew Weller and uh, I said, mate, I don't think I can play this game. Like I, I was borderline in tears um, and this sounds very dramatic, but it's it's not. But um, And uh, I just had this, I, I didn't want to play. I, I didn't didn't know how I was going to score any, a run. Um, I got to Perth Stadium. I sat in my car for half an hour. I couldn't get out of the car. Wow. And, um, and like... I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I eventually got out of the car, put a smile on my face, um, went out, didn't really perform, but I got through the game and uh, 
and I didn't like the way that cricket made me feel at that point in time. Um, and that was that point was has been a huge turning career, point in my career to date. Um, and I guess my message there is I was going through some stuff mentally with the game of cricket itself, um, all based around just wanting to do well and play cricket for Australia um, and perform for Western Australia and perform for... And I couldn't do it at that point in time. I was, wasn't in great form, wasn't in a really good headspace in cricket terms. Um, and funnily enough, you hear so many people say it, but as soon as I started opening up to people close to me that I wasn't going so well when it came to cricket and things, things probably needed to change, um, things started getting better. You know? um, and so, you know, the, the mental health space, space is, um, yeah, you want to have an open environment where people can speak their, how they're feeling and especially with spending so much time away from family and friends and, and your home. Um, I think it's great that we're in a, a space now where um, people are starting to open up a lot more and still probably a lot of work to do in that space. But, um, yeah, cricket's definitely changed and um, I'm really proud of that fact. It's bloody great insight, mate, and I, I appreciate you sharing that story for for the greater good because people will listen to it as they do on this show and, and, and the average punter will take things from it. I take things from it. When, when you talk about performance anxiety, what does that mean to you? Is it fear of failure? And how do you cope with that when you're walking out in the middle with those thoughts in your head on a on a domestic or international stage, Mitch? Yeah, fear of failure. Um, yeah. So many, I, well, a lot of people would go through it in their life, but um, cricketers at all levels, um, they go through it. And as a batsman, you go through it more than you succeed at times, you know, um, so it's about learning to deal with that. Um, and I, I certainly suffered from that. My biggest thing was I didn't like letting people down. That's my personality. Mm. That's who I am. Um, whether it's my family and friends, whether it's my teammates, um, my biggest thing early on in my career was that I just didn't like letting people down. So every time I failed, I've let people down. I've let the coach down, I've let the team down, let myself down. Um, people are judging me, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it, it's a snowball. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's about just having a few things that um, allow you to, to go out and just play the game and accepting that you're going to fail um, and, and that's okay, you know. Um, but as long as I'm doing everything I can off the field um, to have success, then the rest actually doesn't matter. You know, it's, um, it's all part and parcel of the game of cricket and, um, yeah, eradicating the fear of failure. I mean, I still get nervous. I still go out there and want to get off the mark and, when I get my first boundary away, that's a, I don't think that changes from if you're playing under 13s to playing cricket for Australia. That's a natural feeling of cricket. Mm. Um, but, yeah, fear of failure is something that a lot of people struggle with, I reckon. You came back into the test side um, for Pete Hanscom in the third test of an Ashes series in 2017-18. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in the commentary box for Triple M cricket at the time. Um, tell me in great detail, Marshy, about scoring a hundred in Test cricket for your country now, and I'm enjoying the smile on your face. <laughs> yeah, so I watch my one day hundred uh, once a month. This is once a week, <laughs> the Test hundred. <laughs> no, only joking. Only joking. Um, <laughs> Mate, if I if that was me, I would. I'd be hammering it daily, <laughs> daily. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, that was uh, that was probably one of the best days of my life to date. Good. Um, the uh, yeah, getting the call. I um, so we'll take it back six months from that moment. Yep. Um, I'd come off a pretty tough summer uh, again, <laughs> and uh, I was pretty. Um, I wouldn't say lost, but I just didn't know what to do. You know, you're working hard and things aren't working for you. So uh, there's a, a family in Western Australia called the Muleman family. Ken Muleman played for WA um, and Bobby and then Scotty, um, Scott Muleman, the son, played for cricket for WA. Anyway, they got a, a shop, cricket shop called Muleman's, very famous cricket shop in Perth. Mm. And um, Sean has worked a lot with um, Bobby Bobby Muin as a batting coach, um, Mike Hussey, JL, Adam Gilchrist all worked with him over their careers. Anyway, um, Scotty Muin had lived with Sean growing up, um, played creep WA, great, great player in his own right. And um, I called him in the off season, and I said, Scotty, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm a bit lost. Um, obviously, I've still got great hunger to play cricket, you know, for Australia and. But I just don't know what to do. Anyway, he says, all right, we'll see you next week. We'll get to work. And uh, little did I know that Scott Newman um, had watched basically all of my cricket. Um, they got always got the TV on in, in the shop and they watched a lot of my cricket. So he basically listed off that you need to get better at this, you need to do this, we'll do this. We'll work for, for six months in the off-season. And uh, we worked, I hit three or four times a week with Scotty on top of um, a training uh, with a whacker and um, formed a beautiful relationship with him over that little period of time. What was the main thing, um, Marshy? Like that you said there was a few things. If you had to choose one thing that he said, right, you've got to fix this, what was it? Uh, probably um, technical issues with my sort of defence, which in, in red ball cricket... Um, Probably 70, 80% of the time you're defending cricket balls, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I had a few little sort of technical flaws uh, when it came to red ball cricket that he wanted to sort of iron out of my game. Um, and that all came down to literally s- such simple things as um, my front knee bend, moving into the ball, being quite tall. I, I tend to come up off the ball like, quite a bit. Yep. Um, so it was all about sort of getting a bit lower and... and getting my knee drive into the ball and getting my foot straight down the wicket, all these little um, little things that add up, you know. Um, so anyway, we worked, worked for, for um, yeah, for four or five months together um, and uh, started the summer off really well for WA, um, got a couple of 90s, couple of hundreds and uh, – Playing cricket for Australia at the start of that summer, I was like, well, you know, I'm probably a couple of years away from getting back in that team. So, and I accepted that. And that's probably why <laughs> I started playing so well because I, yeah. I just sort of relaxed, you know. It wasn't, I wasn't so just Australia, 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 Australia. Um, hmm. And I uh, got the call and um, we just finished a Shield game in the MCG. Um, got a call, uh, mate, you're, you're back in the Ashes team. And uh, I got off the phone and I was just, I couldn't believe, I was basically like holding back tears um, and a few of the boys see me smiling um, and they just, um, they all sort of came up and said, you're back in, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I'm back in. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, off to, to Perth I went. Um, 
And uh, yeah, straight back in. Uh, felt good going into that game. Obviously, it was an Ashes, um, Ashes test match at home. Very special. Mm. Um, we fielded first. And uh, how much they made? They got they made a good yeah, score. They did. Actually, they made about three. Yeah, um, maybe even four hundred. They did. Yeah, um, but I still remember the first hour of the test match. Um, I was fielding at first slip, dropped the catch. Absolute dolly. Actually went through my hands, hit my sunnies, and cut my forehead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate. And it was like um, it was off Josh Hazelwood and the like. At the wacker, we stand a long way back, and it just floated to me, and it just went straight through my hand. Slow motion replay on the big screen, crowds, ooh. And then Mark Stoneman's on fifty-two, but Mitch Marsh couldn't claim the catch. Had so much time and did nothing about it. It's just so. In that moment, I had all these emotions like flood back into my gut. Just, oh, here we go again. You know, Test cricket back on the grind. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, and I, but I, I sort of got rid of that, got, got, in, got myself into the game. And, uh, yeah, we were um, four for 240, I reckon, when I came in. Um, Sean got out to Mo um, Alley, caught it first slip, and uh, in I went. Um, and, yeah, I, um, similar moment to my first one-day 100, I hit a straight drive off James Anderson um, early on in the piece and uh, just... I sort of gained a lot of confidence in that moment um, that I was sort of on and, um, and uh, yeah, amazing um, partnership with, with uh, Steve Smith. Um, I think it was, yeah, 330. Yeah, um, it, yeah it, was just, it was just one of those days, mate. I just, um, yeah, I felt good. I, I was in, I, I played my, I played my way, you know, um, and that was probably the most pleasing thing about that day. Mark, 96. Drive, square of the wicket. Maiden test, 100, Mitch Marsh. Emotion overload. 181 walking off in a home test match. After everything you've gone through, what's your emotions walking into the shed? Australia 4 for 549. Smith unbeaten on 229. And Marsh, 181. The host leading by 146 runs at Stumps. Yeah, oh. Just pure elation. Um, there was a, a range of emotions. You know, you've obviously you've done well, um, but probably the, the most satisfying feeling was that I was in a partnership with Steve Smith that put Australia mm. back in front of the game. You know, in an in a Ashes Test match, that's the ultimate. And um, in typical Darren Lehman fashion, um, he worded up all the boys and I actually walked into the change rooms and everyone was dead silent and just like pretending to do just like normal stuff, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I was walking in and I was like, oh, they are going to get around me. <laughs> you know, like that's like the childhood stuff coming out of you. You're just like, oh, here we go. I'm going to get some love here. <laughs> and Buffett worded up the boys, dead silence. And then after about two seconds, they were like, yeah. <laughs> we got him the voice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty amazing moment. Yeah. So then another hundred in Sydney. Is that when you're out there with <laughs> Sean? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, what, what? 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 So you're playing Test cricket now. You're at the SCG. Your old man's played for your country. Your brother scored a hundred. You're out there. You've scored a hundred. He's out there. 
that that's that's fairy tale stuff now, Marshy. That that is fairy tale stuff. Yeah, there's no sugarcoating that. That is um, that was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I I was uh, I, I think I was none off twenty five balls. Uh, Mason Crane, young leggy oh, at, yeah. at the time. Um, he was all over me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I sort of just got away. Um, and then I think I was uh, probably about 60-odd overnight. And But to get to 60, I just, I don't know what happened. I was, I was you know, full of confidence and we were 3-0 uh, up in the fifth test match. So uh, playing with a fair bit of freedom, to be fair. Um, but I started just taking them on. And it was uh, the crowd was at that stage probably about fifteen sherbets deep in the afternoon yes. of the SCG yes. of the Nationals Test match. Um, so they were going, they got me going, and uh, yeah, Sean and I were both um, not out overnight. Um, but the the funny part was is uh, last over of the day, Sean was on ninety eight or maybe even ninety nine, and uh, I blocked out the day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now the, I remember. And the crowd. Yeah, the crowd was going crazy at me and uh, I felt terrible. Australia 4 for 479 at Stumps on day three. Sean Marsh eyeing off a century with 98 not out overnight. Australia holding a lead of 133 runs. And Sean, being who Sean is, um, he came down and he's like, mate, just get through it, just get through it. But I knew that deep down he wanted to get on strike. And I, I just... <laughs> James Anderson, I'm fairly certain, was bowling. He knew what he, exactly what he was doing. Um, didn't allow me to, to get off strike. and So I walked off feeling fairly guilty, um, to be fair, but also really excited the next day that I was going to be out there for Sean and if he managed to get away, get 100. Um, so, pardon me, yeah, so, um, yeah, first overall, second over, he got his 100. And just to be out there for that was... Um, yeah, pretty incredible to hug my brother in the middle of the SCG uh, in an Ashes Test match. He got a hundred. Hmm. Was uh, was fairly special. Here he goes through cover, superb cover drive. Five hundred. A great series. And that motivated me from that moment to make sure I, I got my hundred. And uh, I knew that Sean was going to be out there for mine, um, just by knowing who he is and. And, uh, and how gritty he can be at times. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, got to 98, maybe 99. Tom Curran was bowling, um, hit one through the covers, celebrated, hands in the air, um, came back for two. Ball didn't go for four. <laughs> it's well documented, this. And uh, yes, Sauce came in for the hug. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so, so obviously I... Returned favour, returned servant, went in for the hug and, and uh, then we realised that the ball was basically on its way back in. <laughs> we had to get to our crease. Mitch Marsh, 99. What could he do? Karen bowling to the big bison. He gets that in front of point. Look at him. Two arms raised in the air. They're celebrating. You've got to get back into your crease, Shawnee boy. <laughs> They were hugging mid-pitch oh. and forgot about running between the wingers. What the hell's going on? <laughs> Mitch Marsh's century. <laughs> that's hard to celebrate the two brothers. Oh. Probably in the that, 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 could have been, that could have been the most embarrassing decision <laughs> in the history of Test cric
um, going absolutely crazy and they'd say, get back, get back, what are you doing? Um, so, yeah, got, got, over, got over the line, um, hugged Sean in the middle of the SCG again um, and, uh, you know, that's a, of all the things that um, I've been very lucky enough to achieve in cricket, that, that moment's one that will um, always be with me. Can you imagine, and you have some understanding now and Sean's got a young family, so until you're a parent, I don't think you can really appreciate the pride and hopes you have for your kids, but can you imagine your mum and dad sitting there watching that and seeing their two sons out there scoring test match hundreds for their country? Like they would have just been bursting with pride and happiness. Yeah, Um yeah, I, I can't. Well, I, I can't imagine um, what it would have been like for mum and dad. Um, they would have been, yeah, very proud, very happy. Yeah. Um, Dad's not a great watcher. Um, he's a nervous character at, uh, when it comes to watching Is he? us play cricket. Is he? Yeah, yeah, I get that. He, he, he came. He came to Adelaide Oval um, to watch Sean and I play in the pink ball test match, and um, uh, we were chasing not many, but it was a pretty tense chase. And anyway. Um, Later found out that Sean and I were batting together. We had a sort of 30, 40, 50 run partnership, which in the context of the game was pretty important. And um, yeah, found out that Dad had actually just walked out of Adelaide Oval and was uh, <laughs> roaming the streets of Adelaide while we were batting. I said, Come on, Swampy. I said, what, what is the point of you coming all this way to watch us play and you walk out of the ground? Um, but that's dad. <laughs> Mate, I get nervous watching my son in the under 11, so I, I can fully appreciate it. Yeah. Back to Mitch in a moment. Next up on the Howie Games, newly minted Olympic gold medalist, if you don't mind, Jess Fox. What moment does it sink in that you're an Olympic gold medalist, or has it still not sunk in that you're an Olympic gold medalist? I think for me it was the podium, you know, just hearing them announce and gold medalist and Olympic champion, Jessica Fox. Like I was tearing up. I was really emotional in that moment and um, receiving the gold medal, like it was just, I think every Olympic medal is beautiful, but the gold one, it's just, it's just an amazing, um, amazing colour and amazing medal and it represents so much. So I think, yeah, that moment for me really hit me and it's something that it'll keep sinking in I, I think as soon as I get home I just really want to be able to share that with everyone and and uh yeah pass it around to everyone because I know the impact that a gold medal can have on a, on a kid because in 2004 I was that kid who saw a gold medal an Olympic medal and and it did light that dream for me so it's amazing that's Jess Fox next up on the show more of Marshy now you know, you, you then went on and you you made um, a 90-odd versus South Africa. You were flying, but then as cricket does, it it, it got you again and you, you, you're in and out of the side. You get back in the squad for the 2019 Ashes. You didn't play the first four tests. You played the fifth test, um, which Australia lost, but uh, retained the Ashes. You got five for, mm-hmm. five for 46. We haven't really spoke about your bowling. And, and you did a, a press conference, Marshy. And and you'll know what I'm going to ask you, but but you famously talked about the fact that you know they're asking you how you were with the Australian public, etc. And you talked about the fact, well, I'm used to all of Australia hating me. Was pretty pretty much what you said. I haven't I haven't got it word for word there. I don't know how much you 
listen to outside noise, but <laughs> you always seem to divide opinions in Australia. Have you ever given a thought to why? Yeah, most of Australia hate me. <laughs> um, and I, I watched it and it like, it really flattened me. And, and you said it with a smile on your face and, and you were joking, but your selection and Sean's selection, for whatever reason, has caused a great deal of debate among cricket fans. But when you said that, it just really flattened me that a bloke that was doing everything for his country would feel that the country wasn't behind him. Yeah, yeah it was... Uh, was it like, I don't know if it was an off-the-cuff moment or it was part in humour. It was said in a press conference. I don't know, but it was just... Jeez, it flattened me. Yeah, it uh, it certainly was off-the-cuff and uh, I did say it with a smile on my face in, in a in a joking manner, um, but there's no... yeah. I'd, I'd be lying if I said that at times um, the way I've sort of been perceived in the public of the Australian cricket as, as an Australian cricketer um, hasn't got to me at times. And, and that's purely based down to what I said before about um, you know, who I am and, and my personality um, about you know, making people happy and, and not feeling like I'm letting people down. And, and that's probably what, as a young kid coming in and playing cricket for Australia, you want to impress people and you want to... Um, you want to be liked, you know, mm. um, and uh, yeah, I've, there's no no doubt, and I've caught my fair bit, of, my fair share of criticism over the journey. But um, you know, as an international sportsman, as an Australian cricketer of a very proud cricketing nation, um, you know, fans are so passionate, and that's what I love most about the Australian um, uh, Australian fans is that they're passionate and, and ultimately if you don't do well you're going to cop criticism and that's the nature of the beast and that's the nature of international sport and that's absolutely fine um, and yeah, I still cop criticism today and there's, um, um, there's I certainly um, handle that a lot better than what I used to um, to the point where it actually doesn't affect me one bit anymore um, which is a really good place to be in um, but yeah at, at, um, I, I, I've got a one of my, um, not worst memories, but my probably my toughest day playing cricket for Australia was when I um, replaced Peter Hanscom at the MCG at Boxing Day. Yeah. And uh, 75,000 people on Boxing Day and I came on to bowl on Boxing Day and the whole crowd booed me. Um, and it was like a loud boo. Uh, and that, I stood at the top of my mark and I was basically almost in tears at that point in time. Um, and I... I that sounds dramatic enough, um, but it, it's not, you know, it's uh, it's game cricket. But um, that moment there was when that was one of the moments where I was like, oh, this is tough, you know. And uh, I remember going off at lunch and I was just basically in tears um, at the fact that, I, you know, I was getting booed by Australian cricket fans. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't... Um, Whilst there's been tough moments, um, I've also had a lot of great moments, you know. Um, well, well, we've been talking about them, hundreds for your country, like winning test matches, yeah. Ashes series. Like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably go back to the point. I love that Australian cricket fans are so passionate about this sport. And, uh, yeah, like I said, if you don't succeed or you don't do well, you're going to cop criticism and that's totally fine. Um, but all of those lessons that I've learned have, have, have shaped me um, into who I am right now um, and moving forward and also me as a cricketer. And, um, 
you know, at 29, hopefully I've still got a lot to give Australian cricket and West Australian cricket and, um, yeah, put a few smiles on people's faces over the next couple of years. Which is what you do when you play, which is why now you had to face, you have to face the question from the Big Penguin. Um I'm blessed that you uh, listen to this show and uh, that fills me with joy. So yeah. you know the young man's work. I do. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Hey, Marty, Big Penguin here. When Australia played Bangladesh and the West Indies, I think you were definitely the best player there. But what I want to know is how do you hit so many sixes? How do you get so much power? I've only ever hit one six in my whole entire life. <laughs> and you hit like... Four sixes in one game. <laughs> That's a great question, Penguin. Um, I don't think you've ever missed with a question, mate, to be fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm uh, very lucky that I'm, I'm uh, quite big um, and I've naturally got um, good strength for batting and, and hitting sixes. But um, if I was to give one bit of advice for um, young kids who are smaller, um, is, well, one, it'll come <laughs> later on in your life. Um, but two, when I'm hitting sixes, um, it's all timing. It's not hmm. about hitting or swinging super hard. Sometimes it is. Um, but majority of the time, it's no different to playing a cover drive. It's a groove swing that you practice and practice and practice. And with T20 cricket nowadays, so many guys practice hitting sixes and it's like I said, it's no different to your defence. If you practice hitting sixes, it'll come. Um, but uh, yeah, don't try and overhit the ball. It's my biggest thing. Um, I'm always trying to, if anything, slow down my swing and just tie the ball over the fence. Um, but big penguin, I must admit, it's pretty fun hitting sixes, mate. Yeah, he uh, he said that he'd hit one. I must have missed that game. I don't particularly recall him hitting one, but if he tells me, <laughs> if he tells me, Marty, he's hit one. Um, a couple more for you. Uh, talked about scoring test centuries with your brother. Uh, shocked the cricket world when Sean left the Scorchers and went to the Renegades. Yeah. And I can remember the build-up to a couple of those big bash games when you're playing against him. I think the first one he might have got into a bit. And then we get down to Geelong and you're bowling to your brother. <laughs> I was, yeah. Nervous as anything. <laughs> nervous against your um, brother? Oh, oh, so nervous. Yeah, so nervous. Because... Um, there's no secret, and I know this deep down, that Sean is a lot more talented and a better cricketer than me when it comes to batting. Definitely not bowling. Um, <laughs> and I know how good he is. Um, and I, I just, for some reason, oh, at the first stadium when I bowled to him, he didn't really take me on. He just hit ones, and I think he was probably more nervous than I was um, playing back there. But I knew that um, in Geelong he was going to try and take me down. Just a gut feeling. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he tried. Um, bad luck, champion. And, <laughs> champion. Uh, you dropped a champion on him. <laughs> <laughs> um, he'll love that. Oh, he goes after this one, though. That's a chance. Taken. Younger brother gets the older brother, Liam Livingston, with a very handy catch on the boundary. And, uh, yeah, got, got him caught on the boundary. And... Um, May I just add that those boundaries at Geelong are about 58 yeah. metres, so very short. short. So he's properly shanked it. If that was a purse same, he probably would have come back for two. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I actually didn't celebrate. And you can smile a little bit more than that, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> little brother Mitch. Well, he's got the bragging rights now. I tried not to celebrate. 
um, purely out of respect for my older brother. Um, and I actually caught the fair bit of flack from the Scorchers boys for that because, you know, it's a big wicket um, of the Renegades. But, um, yeah, I wish I could say that I enjoyed getting him out um, a bit more than I actually did. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a lot of love there between my brother and I and uh, it was a weird feeling and I still... Um, it's still very sad to see him in red. Yeah, it is. It's it's bizarre to see him in red. <laughs> so, mate, what, what's what's next? You get a, out of quarantine. There's a T20 World Cup. There's yeah. a home ashes. Who knows what's happening in the world? As you mentioned a few times, you're still a young man with a lot of cricket in you. From everything you've learnt, physically and mentally, are you ready to continue this upward path that you've started on once again in the in the recent series in the West Indies and Bangladesh? Is, is it is it coming for you, do you reckon, um, to, to add even further to the success you've had? Yeah, well, I'm certainly hopeful that um, I've got a lot more cricket in me for Australia um, and Western Australia and the Perth Scorchers, of course. Um, yeah, I think for me where I'm at right now in my life is um, – it's just taking it as it comes, you know. I um, I will do everything I possibly can to um, to succeed in cricket, both from an individual point of view and from whatever team I'm playing in. Um, I'll do everything I possibly can to make sure that I'm ready to go on a match day moving forward. Um, ultimately, I can't always control what happens and, and that's probably been my biggest shift in uh, mentally is um, things are going to happen. I'm going to succeed. I'm not going to succeed. Um, when I fail, make sure I'm, I'm learning um, and then enjoy the moments that I succeed and, and stay as present as I possibly can throughout that and and not get and not look too far ahead, you know. Um, got a, a big World Cup coming up, which I'm really excited for. Um, it's going to be huge. Um, and, you know, hopefully I can contribute to that. But what I can guarantee is that I'll be ready to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's really exciting. And such a positive influence on the group. I think anyone in, around Australian cricket knows that. But I think one of the things the test documentary showed, and I'm sure a lot of people have said this to you, you those first four test matches that you didn't play, you know, you were being a DJ in the rooms. You, you had that, oh, we're <laughs> going to get a coffee every morning. I don't know what you guys are doing, but if anyone wants to come and join me for a walk and a coffee, um, to be not playing in a test series in England in the Ashes for the first four test matches but being a vibrant part of the group, from the outside looking in, is true credit to your character, Marshy? Yeah, that was my... I knew going into that series that I wasn't going to play, basically. Um, and as, as a player, you sort of know that. Um, and so my whole thing about that tour was how can I have a positive impact on this group without actually playing the game of cricket itself <laughs> and um, leaning on my past experiences uh, for what I'd been through. Touring life gets tough. Um High-pressure situations get tough mentally. So how could I help the group? And, um, yeah, as you saw in the documentary, I, I got up um, in, in front of the group, which is not something that I would normally ever do. Um, and I basically said that for every tour, uh, for every every day on this tour, um, I'm going to get up and I'm going to win the morning, um, not only for myself but for, for our group, you know. Hmm. Um, and for anyone who, like, you know, this tour is going to get tough. We know that. Um, many challenges are going to be thrown at us and for anyone who either just wants to get up and win the morning or who wants to chat or who just wants to find a good coffee, um, I'll be there 
7 a.m. or 7.30 or sometimes 6.30, um, sometimes a little bit later if I had a couple of sherbets as a 12th man, a touring 12th man, Howie. Um, Good boy. But, uh, yeah, for a, a, I missed, uh, out of a four-month tour, I missed two days, um, uh, which um, Jay was a bit disappointed at me at those at that point in time. But um, Tell me one I, of those days was after the... Uh, the ashes had been taken care of. Tell me, it was one of those. Days. Yeah, yes, it was after two of the after two of the wins where um, the night you know uh, got away from us a little bit as it does. Um, but yeah, basically every day of that tour, um, I walked sometimes. Um, and the, the one person that walked every day with me was Steve Wall, my hero. Um, wow, what were the conversations like? Oh, unbelievable! Mostly him telling me about his hundreds um, <laughs> and how tough he was. Um, <laughs> But, um, you know, that I wasn't able to create many memories on the field um, personally, but I, I walked away from that tour um, a better cricketer, you know. Um, speak, every morning I, I'd walk next to Tugger and we'd either talk cricket, we'd talk life, we'd talk, you know, um, what sort of stuff he's done after cricket, investing, um, his money and um, his charity and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, that was my thing. And, yeah, so some days I had... Eight guys there, some guys, some days it was just Tugger and I um, and those days were brilliant. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that was a real mentality of the whole group. Um, we had a group, really close group and blokes willing to do things um, for each other and that was my small part in the in the tour. Yeah, but an integral part, an, an integral yeah. part. Um, before we get to the final question, now, you're surfing. Oh, here we go. No, I, I, this is part. I, uh, this is part D, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, this is now. We're going on now. Um, <laughs> where where are you? Because I've been trying for twenty years, and I'll never be any good because I didn't learn as I've taught my son from age four. So yep. he's already probably mm-hmm. better than me. Where are you at? What's your perfect day? Where's your perfect place to surf? And when does it get to the size where you think, "Hang on, I'm not going out there now. I'm sitting <laughs> in the car park watching other people." Oh yeah, righto. No, this is great. Um, Firstly, surfing is probably my number one passion in life. Yes. Um, unfortunately, my ability doesn't match my passion. That, probably make, like that you, makes Howie. two of us, Marshy. Uh, so we can relate on that. My sense. word, we but, can. Um, yeah, I, I um, took it up about four years ago now, three and a half, four years ago. And um, I, I, I learned how to surf when I was about 17, 18, which is pretty late to the piece as well. And then, unfortunately, I had three ankle surgeries and a, a hammy surgery. So surfing for about four or five years was out the window. And uh, anyway, Matt Kelly, a young West mm. Australian um, fast bowler, said one day, mate, come out for a surf in Perth, in, just in Cottesloe, waist high waves on a long board. And uh, got to my feet after a few goes. And uh, that was it from that moment. I was just absolutely hooked. Um, progressing there. I'm never going to be a great surfer, but, you know, I'm at the point now where I get to my feet and... Um, I can get down the face of the wave and um, and surf, which is bloody amazing. And it's Longboard? Me- Shortboard? Uh, um, I surf a range of boards. Okay. Um, I got a couple of boards shaped from a, a shaper down south um, called Chapster Surfboards. Chappy surf, um, shaped a lot of boards for a lot of great surfers. Um, so my first two boards were 6'10 and 7'0. Um, and um, well, I'm 6'5", so... Well, I'm six foot four, but around up in public. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, six foot five, mate. And um, <laughs> so I've, I've progressed um, down over the last couple of years. Um, 
I actually surf a, a 6-1 um, f- fish um, majority of the time in Perth. Um, it's 46 litres, so it's, it's a plenty yeah, of... Because uh, you're a big unit. There's, there's plenty of board there. Um, but, uh, yeah, any, anything around the sort of 6-8, um, I know my limitations now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I basically surf whenever I can. Um, either Rottnest Island, Perth is... Unfortunately, pretty average surf, mm. so you got to go a fair way. But um, yeah, get down south or um, to a wave called Karate's or Left Handers out the back of Gracetown. Um, that's probably my favourite wave down there. Um, if you can dodge the, the sharks. Um, well, I was going to say that about Gracetown. Any beach you get to where, and I don't say this lightly, there are uh, memorials on the beach to people who lost their life yeah. in the water. You need to be a little bit aware about what's going on. Yeah, uh, no doubt. There's um, Plenty of sharks down that way. Um, but, you know, there's just something about yeah. surfing culture um, that you once you get out in the water, it's all about catching waves. Correct. And, and what um, size What size do you, like I get in the car park and say, ah, oh, no, nah, not today, when it gets to about oh, six, I'm okay, seven's getting too big at eight, I'm like, ah, oh, no, nah, got to go to work, <laughs> got to go to work. <laughs> What's that size for you? Yeah, I'm a... Uh, I'm I'm definitely not surfing anything more than six feet. <laughs> okay. Um, and and probably even at the six feet range, I'm probably paddling out there and being very. Uh, I actually, um, it's a good story. Um, a couple of months before I left, I was down south um, with my with my girlfriend and um, obviously doing a fair bit of surfing. And a mutual friend of mine is really good friends with Taj Burrows. Oh. And uh, anyway, so he uh, managed to. Um, get Taj to send me a text to say, mate, do you want to go for a surf? And uh, I was like, oh, here we go, Taj Burrows. <laughs> this is unbelievable. So he sent me a, um, his location. He said, mate, meet me here. We'll, um, we'll go for a surf. So I uh, get to this spot waiting for Taj Burrows to turn up on the side of the road. And uh, he goes, jump in my car, mate. We're going down off this off-beaten track. Um, so you don't have to scratch your car. I said, no worries. And uh, anyway, went to get my car keys. My car was on, couldn't find my car keys. So I literally, I was holding Taj Burrows up on the side of the road. <laughs> I couldn't find my car keys for about 10 minutes. And I started to really panic, sweating. <laughs> and uh, anyway, after about 10 minutes, I, um, I, uh, I found my keys. He was, I think he was a bit rattled, to be fair. <laughs> uh, we went down this track to a, a surf break called Mufflers. In, um, which is um, down in Margaret River near Injured Up. Yep. And uh, I got there and I knew straight away that I was out of my depth and I just couldn't, I couldn't get in the water. Um, I had this amazing opportunity to go and surf with Taj Burrow, but uh, I knew my limits. And uh, Mufflers is this really sort of easy, it's a right hander, easy takeoff. And then basically it sucks up on this reef into a, a right handed barrel, like thick, slabby barrel. And um, it was, you know, fairly sizey that day and I just knew I was out of my depth. So, um, yeah, I missed the opportunity to surf with Taj Burrow, but um, he was a, a lovely man. Did he um, go out? Oh, yeah, he went out, yeah. Um, so you sat yeah, on the beach watching him get shacked? Oh, I sat on the beach and watched him get a couple of really cool barrels. 
three guys walked up with broken boards. Um, it was a pretty solid day. Right. I think you made the right so decision, Marshy. I made the right. I, I made the right call. Yeah. So my message there is to know your limitations. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, surfing's already taken me to some um, pretty cool places, and um, many more to come once the world gets back to normal. Fingers crossed. Last question for you, and as you know, this is always the question I finish with. For those youngsters that are listening that want to achieve some success in whatever they're passionate about, geez, mate, you're in a good position because you've lived the life, you've lived the highs, you've lived the lows as well. What advice would you give the youngsters out there that want to have a bit of success in their world? Um, My biggest learnings from cricket um, and probably my my life journey so far is to never be afraid of failure. all of my best learnings have come from my failures and so far, um, both in cricket um, and away from the game. And um, don't let that deter um, you from your goals is probably my biggest thing. And um, do things that make you happy in life. Um, you know, it's, uh, I don't like to get too heavy or, or deep in, mm. in, with that regard, but... Um, I've found a lot of things that make me happy in my life, um, both in, in cricket and away from the game of cricket. And uh, that's literally my only advice is to yeah, do things that make you happy and, and to never be afraid of, of failure. It's great advice, Matt. I knew this would be a wonderful podcast um, because you are a wonderful man. Thanks for being really open and honest and talking about not only the good times but some of the more difficult times. Best of luck, mate, going forward. May there be many more runs and wickets and, more importantly, barrels in the uh, near to short to long-term future. Mate, I really appreciate your time. Uh, hope to see you at a crew ground really soon. Marshy, thanks for joining me on the Howie Games. No, thank you, Howie. Cheers, mate. He's a good man, Mitch Marsh, a very good man. Thank you to Marshy for giving me up some of his time in quarantine. I reckon now you will all have a fair idea why his teammates all love playing with a big fella. Get around him, as they say in modern sporting vernacular. Remember, a fair bit coming your way in the Howie Games feed next Wednesday, September 15, the Artist Series debut with singer-songwriter Paul Kelly, then Thursday, Jess Fox. If Das doesn't explode with a workload, that is. Until then, stay safe. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener